Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. above the beautiful Buckhead district of Atlanta. This is your personal transgender scientist, Dana Bevan. In previous blog posts, we identified factors in transgender causation that results in transgender emergence in childhood. Well, what do the trans kids do after that? And is a child transgender forever? And how are these two questions related? In trying to answer these questions, I'll dish some scientific dirt. Here's five of the alternatives for trans kids. Number one, the vast majority of children go into the closet. They express their transgender behavior in secret as they come to understand cultural rejection. Two-thirds never tell their parents. The most intense period of rejection by their peers occurs in pre-teen years. About 90% are driven into secrecy and may come out of the closet later as part-time or as full-time transgender people. Number two, some transgender kids are rejected by their families and end up on the street. In many cities, a large proportion of the homeless and street people are transgender. These rejected kids are forced to engage in illegal street economies to survive. Uh, This is the most dangerous and visible outcome and the one that gives all trans people a bad reputation. More about that in a future post. Number three, families of some transgender kids believe that they have a mental disorder and they force their children to go to mental hospitals, clinics, and religious organizations for so-called reparative or conversion therapy. The goal is to encourage behavior in the gender category that they were assigned at birth. All sorts of so-called therapeutic techniques have been tried, and none of them have worked. Many of the treatments are physically and psychologically damaging. Three of the most recent and least damaging treatments include discouraging kids from playing with inappropriate toys, jawboning the kids in talk sessions to make them see the light, and having the parents set up rewards and punishments for appropriate and inappropriate gender behavior. There are more severe treatments that have been tried, and they also have been ineffective. International provider guidelines for treating transgender kids and adults now specifically discourage such so-called treatments, but they still go on. Number four, in the past decades, the trend has been for affirming treatment, which allows transgender kids to express their congruent gender behavior with support from mental health providers. Providers provide counseling to help deal with the inevitable problems associated with rejection. These trans kids may be able to solve some of their social problems under affirmative treatment, but they face the looming biological problem of puberty, 
which has been occurring earlier and earlier. Children now start puberty at the ages of eight or nine. For transgender children, puberty is a time for irreversible damage, including voice changes, breast development, and changes in facial and other body features. These interfere with acceptance in their congruent gender. Number five, to address the looming threat of puberty for trans kids, providers in the Netherlands developed a new treatment protocol about 10 years ago that fits with the affirming treatment idea. The protocol involves social transition and puberty-blocking drugs to allow the child time to determine which gender they want to live in in their adult lives and whether they want to start transition. The protocol is overseen by a team that includes mental health, family medical, and endocrinological providers. To qualify each trans kid as to demonstrate that they are insistent, persistent, and consistent in their best fit gender category. In this protocol, the child needs to complete a social transition, which they live in congruent in their congruent gender category. Several years is usually required before moving on to the next step, which is puberty blocking drugs. Trans kids only have a few years from emergence to the start of puberty, so social transition is imperative. Puberty blocking drugs have been around for many years. They are used to treat precocious puberty and are deemed safe, but they are very expensive. Implants in slowly absorbing form under the skin cost twenty to forty thousand dollars, depending on whether the provider uses an operating room or not. They last for 6 to 18 months, but need to be monitored for effectiveness because sometimes the skin of kids walls off the implants, which slows absorption. Injections are less expensive, but require frequent doctor visits. It is recommended that puberty-blocking drugs be stopped at age 16, at which point the child may start sex hormones or let puberty happen in their birth sex. Current practice is to administer low doses of sex hormones during early teen years to ensure that bone growth and genital growth occur properly. International guidelines suggest that transgender transition might start at age 16. Transgender transition, or simply transition, is really what used to be termed transsexual transition. But the word transsexual has fallen out of favor among young people, so I refrain from using it, even though I am one. Transsexual transition is a highly individualized process. It may involve administration of cross-sex hormones, hormone therapy, facial feminization surgery, mastectomy for trans men, and transgender genital plastic surgery. More on transition in subsequent podcasts. The Netherlands protocol has been applied to trans kids over the past 10 years. I estimate that there are several thousand trans kids in the world going through the affirmative protocol of the Netherlands at this time. There are about a thousand in one clinic in Los Angeles alone. So far, things have gone well. We will get a fuller report on the outcomes soon because major studies are currently underway. So what's the rationale for this affirming protocol? Hopefully, it should reduce the risk of suicide among transgender youth. The current rate of trans suicide attempts is at least 40% among transgender people, and that does not count many that we do not know about or are successful. A lot of these attempts occur in childhood or early adulthood. As one mother put it, I would rather have a live daughter than a dead son. 
The protocol allows time for trans kids to make life-altering decisions about their gender by postponing the ravages of puberty. So that is what transgender kids are up to these days. Now, as to why we would like to know how long being transgender continues beyond childhood. The basic reason why is that critics of the Netherlands affirming protocol have sprung up. Many of them are the very same practitioners of reparative therapy, which is now out of favor. Hopefully this is only their parting shot. Other critics were advocates against same-sex marriage and are looking for new provocative issues to garner support and money for their advocacy. The critics maintain that 80% of trans kids will stop their transgender behavior in adulthood without any intervention. So the, the, according to them, the affirmative approach is not needed. They ignore the re irreversible damage from puberty that makes life harder for adult transgender people. There's also a contradiction here. They seem to ignore the fact that their statistics come from gender, their gender clinics where the goal was to cure being transgender. But if trans kids naturally discontinue being transgender in adulthood, why would we need their supposed cures? As your personal transgender scientist, I investigated all the available research related to how long being transgender continues after childhood. In these papers, trans kids that continue being trans into adulthood are called persisters, and those who discontinue are called desisters. These terms were inspired from terms for pathological disorders, which were totally unrelated to being transgender. And in sociological contexts, they are also used to describe juvenile delinquents, so I tend not to use them. The 80% statistics comes from a now disbanded gender clinic in Toronto at the Canadian Center for Addiction and Mental Health, otherwise known as CAMH. They use the reparative therapies that I had previously mentioned. Subsequent analysis of the records of the clinic indicate that many of the patients were not transgender at all. Many were admitted to the clinic because they're extremely feminine boys who were aggressively seeking sex with same-sex partners. Their behavior must have scared parents enough to let them go to the clinic. Sure, they did some cross-dressing, but it was to be with the girls and to attract sex partners, not because it was a way to express their congruent gender. This type of aggressive behavior in young boys predicts that they will be homosexual as adults rather than being transgender. Transgender kids do not present this way, and the clinicians knew that. It is spelled out in many of their publications. Transgender kids are with, typically withdrawn and concerned about gender, not about having sex. So why were these pre-homosexual kids labeled as transgender? Well, it's time to dish some scientific dirt. Being homosexual was dropped in 1972 from psychiatric billing codes. As of 1972, it was decided that being homosexual per se was no longer pathological. So instead, the clinicians in these studies build tr treatment of the pre-homosexual kids to a transgender code entitled Gender Identity Disorder of Childhood, which most people interpret as being transgender. Like a self-licking ice cream cone, clinicians who are treating pre-homosexual children actually set up this code under the guise of transgender treatment. They could get paid for treatments this way and qualify for research grants. So the data from CAMH is suspect and does not support the 80% figure. We don't really know yet how all the children should have been diagnosed. 
so we don't know how many actual transgender children were treated at CAMH. But the best information I have on outcomes is from an unpublished University of Toronto doctoral thesis. It confirms what I suspected. In adulthood, 63% were labeled as homosexual or bisexual. There are several studies from other gender clinics around the world that were treating pre-homosexual children and using the assumed transgender diagnostic code. I tallied all the adult diagnoses for children who'd been diagnosed as pre-homosexual before reaching adulthood and who were re-diagnosed as, as adults. 30% of the kids dropped out of these studies before an adult assessment could be made, which is pretty common for longitudinal studies. The results were that 62% were diagnosed as adult homosexuals, 4% as transsexual, and 4 were cisgender. In most of these studies, the author did not attempt to hide the fact that they were using an assumed transgender code to bill for treatment of pre-homosexual children. The only thing we can conclude from these studies is that the clinicians were pretty good at recognizing pre-homosexual children who would, as adults become homosexuals. But they could have used a non-homosexual, non-transgender billing code instead of the one they wrote to be associated with transgender people. So the gender clinic results don't help us with how long being transgender continues. What about transgender kids in the wild, so to speak, who are treated by individual practitioners outside of any clinic, or those that don't have a provider at all? They are the most numerous by far, but not usually tallied in research reports. We're unlikely to get answers from current U.S. government surveys. The current administration is systematically stripping LGBT questions out of government surveys, including the U.S. Census and several important health surveys, including one that focuses on transgender elders. And that's me, of course. This policy not only does not help us address the issue, but it will do real harm to LGBT people if their health needs are overlooked. So where does this leave us on the issue of to what extent being transgender continues into adulthood? Uh, it simply leaves us nowhere. We simply do not have good scientific data or results. There is evidence for transgender people who continue to be transgender until their dying day. I have known some. Nothing, even diamonds are forever, but being transgender may come close. We just don't know. Next time, we'll provide an answer to the question, how many transgender people are there? Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.